0: I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys.
1: The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: Half of us are sick.
1: It's me. (laughs) It's always me.
0: You're sounding a little better compared Uh, to people who listen to to Sex Archie, what what they remember from... uh,
1: Compared to that, anything's an improvement. (laughs) But this still isn't very great. (laughs) I think my voice might be deeper than yours. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But with that disclaimer, this is going to be our last regular episode of the year.
1: What?
0: Uh, what that means for our second December episode'll we'll, we'll let you know at the end. but with that in mind, I was just thinking about like th- this might in the future looking back be a particularly notable year. Yeah. So I thought I'd talk about a year where that is certainly the case, one of the the headline years in uh, uh, history. Oh. Uh, 1848, when the world exploded. Oh. So uh, let's start a little bit, a little bit before that. Okay. (laughs) So our, our story is going to be in Europe. And, you know, Europe was long out of the Middle Ages, sure. I mean, there there had been a Reformation and a Renaissance and an Enlightenment and the establishment of of global colonies and an industrial revolution, and not all of those necessarily in that order. Nor can they be considered discrete things. But you you know how it goes.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh,
0: but even in the face of all of that change, Europe was still a land of absolutist monarchies. <laughs> But the forces of modernity, the the Industrial Revolution in particular, were, were straining that system.
1: What's modernities?
0: Modernness. Oh. But, uh...
1: <coughs> oh, no, you're getting it! <laughs> you're getting sick! But, Who's gonna walk the dog?
0: <laughs> still me. Uh... But people were, were being strained as well, so to speak, uh, with food and work shortages all across the continent. That's not good. It's not good. See, uh, industrialization ha- had moved to the farmland as well, not, not just the workshops. It wasn't just spinning jennies, it was agriculture techniques, uh, which included monoculture planting. Planting one thing and one kind of one thing.
1: Yeah. I farm this.
0: Yeah, and it was a whole lot more efficient, so you got bigger yields, which made your landlords and and your feudal lords very happy. Yeah. It also led to blight being uh, uh, endemic. Yeah. If uh, one plant is, like, a certain part of your crop and it fails, that's bad, but you've got the rest of it. Yeah. If your entire crop is one plant, well, uh, we're talking about the Great Famine of Ireland beginning in 1845. Yeah. And it's far from the only example. Uh, in fact, during the famine years, Ireland still uh, exported food to England on the balance while millions starved.
1: Yeah, because that was what the upper class was deciding to do with it.
0: That's how landlords are. Yeah. That, that's how the system works.
1: Well, I can still get paid while you die.
0: But uh, New Farm Tech... Also meant less jobs for farm labor, blight or no, so people went to the cities for work, where they were in competition with urban workers who were also being mechanized and and put out of their their skilled workhouses. Mm -hmm. And as we know from so, so many of our episodes set in this time in America, in the 1800s, everyone had their own newspaper. Yes. Or at least they tried to if they weren't living in a state uh, with an official censor that would crack down on that sort of thing.
1: Yes. And you were also taking out life insurance on everyone you knew.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's such a European thing. That might be... That
1: might just be a U.S. Uh, thing. A
0: homegrown Yankeeism. <laughs> but...
1: Uh, Europe probably has, like, some rule about how, like, you can't. Mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. only take out life insurance on yourself. <laughs>
0: but with uh i mean the the printing press was well and established but uh all this new urbanization uh and and people rubbing shoulders mingling it, it was a hotbed for new ideas uh reformists radicals liberal ideas were spreading around and mixing percolating uh the communist manifesto for instance was published was published uh in february 21st 1848 yeah It didn't do anything. Like, it's a good example of, uh, uh, like, radical ideas existing, but it didn't have a real effect on the events of 1848 at all.
1: It's kind of a lot of manifestos.
0: (laughs) I mean, the manifesto and Marx himself, neither would be particular leaders in radical thought for about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on the first international. Then he, he really comes into his own. But news also would travel by telegraph, so uh, events could be inspired or coordinated in the moment. News can travel faster than people on horses. Yes. So when things pop off in France, you're getting it in the English newspapers much, much faster than before. And when radicals are talking to each other, their messages are outrunning, you know, the emperor's army. Yeah. By a, a good amount of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 1848 was not the first wave of revolution across Europe, but it was the first one to spread by pamphlet and, and migrating speakers rather than spreading with a revolutionary army, liberating uh, uh, the, the downtrodden and having them take up their arms. No, instead, it's just people talking mm-hmm. about current events and seeing that if it worked there, why not here? Yeah. Let's talk about the extent of this wave before we get into detail. Uh, nearly every European state, dozens and dozens of European states faced a revolution. None of these are identical, but uh, this show is one episode, so if uh, we, we can only get so granular. Yeah. We're going to speak a bit broadly, and the typical path is one of those things that is too poetic uh, for people to, to set aside, even if it's not real. Yeah. So uh, there's an uprising of unified forces in the spring, overthrowing the old order. The coalition uh, fractures in the summer as now that they have power, they have to decide what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the revolution falls beginning in the autumn to the armies of the old powers in their counter-revolution, which wouldn't uh, complete until well into the following year, 1849. So I'm going to try to follow the story chronologically rather than going by, here's what happened in France and here's what happened in Italy. Now, we're we're just going to go January on down because I want to emphasize that although each citizenry had their own particular grievances that uh, led to their particular uh, uh, governments that they instituted, this was a broad and interconnected and international movement. Mm -hmm. But to speak of scope, we're going to limit that to just – uh the, the combined timeline of France, the Italian states, the Austrian Empire, uh, and the German states. Okay. Because again, we've only got one episode to talk about. That yep. means we are not talking about Denmark or Portugal or Switzerland or Sweden or Holland or Chile, uh or her the the uh uprising in Ireland that was put down brutally by the English army. Yeah. But Please recognize they all existed, and I encourage you to check them out.
1: Just because we're not talking about them doesn't mean we're dismissing them.
0: hmm Yeah. So the very first revolution of 1848 was an uprising in Palermo, Sicily on January 12th. Okay. So let's talk about the, the situation in the Italian states. I say the Italian states, but not Italy, because there were a bunch of them. This is yeah. pre-unification. So Southern Italy and Sicily were, were one crown called the Two Sicilies, one of which was the island Sicily, yeah. and the other was the, the southern third or so of the Italian peninsula.
1: The Two Sicilies. Yes. Okay.
0: I didn't name it. The Bourbon Royals did.
1: Is that where the name bourbon comes from for the drink? Does uh, it, like, originate there?
0: The The Bourbon Dynasty originates in France. I don't know where bourbon whiskey originates in.
1: That's what I want to know about.
0: I could look this up, and someone is free to correct me. But my guess is, bourbon—the drink—is named for the place in uh, uh, the the Ohio Valley, like the central That's Midwest,
1: like it's which America. is
0: in turn named for the French royals. Uh, is my best guess. <laughs>
1: I'll look that up later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but after Palermo fell to these uh, to this revolt. Uh, their army was forced out and the people re-established their 1815 constitution uh. in in like the age of Napoleon that, that was one of the revolutionary armies <laughs> not quite that revolutionary because like okay you're you're free of your old uh, feudal landlords also here's a new king of yours who is my relative so not exactly
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but they did have a a uh, Rather liberal, uh, especially in 1815 terms, constitution ready to come out of mothballs and and go back into effect. Uh, King Ferdinand II of the two Sicilies granted them a a new constitution patterned on France's charter of 1830 on February 10th. Uh, the two Sicilies were from then on ruled by an elected parliament, which was full of nationalists who would go on to prominence in the first United Italian Parliament. That's uh, unification was in 1870, uh, so part the first parliament was convened then or thereabouts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, when I say nationalists in Italy, these aren't. Sicilian nationalists. These are Italian nationalists. Italian nationalism at this point is all about making a unified Italy. Okay. Uh, Their nationalism was, hey, we, we love Sicily, but also Naples and also Venice. And you know what? Rome. Rome's pretty cool. We're all Italian. That's what Italian nationalism is at this point. Okay. So speaking of February, on February 17th, Leopold II of Tuscany granted a Uh, constitution as well in the face of demonstrators because they heard what happened on the island and uh leopold ii's like "Mm, i'd like to stay here yeah (laughs) uh leopold was a habsburg and uh the people were agitating for an end to austrian influence along with italian unification Mm mm-hmm 1848 begins in earnest in many people's accountings, I guess because they don't like Italians very much, on February 22nd, when barricades go up across the streets of Paris. Ah. Uh, far from the first and far from the last time. Yeah. The the king of France at the time was Louis-Philippe I. He was a constitutional monarch. He, he was bound by that charter of 1830. Uh, and he considered himself a liberal reformer. Mm-hmm. You, you knew he was all about... Uh, individual rights and protections because he banned child labor oh. for anyone eight years old or, or younger.
1: Those nine-year-olds get yeah. to work.
0: <laughs> that that was uh, the one social reform of, of his uh, uh, reign as king. Uh-huh. It was banning eight-year-olds and under for, from the workplace. Uh, I mean, he, he was a businessman, though, and not an aristocrat. He... he worked up from the bottom. Sure, he happened to be from a royal house and all, but, but he considered himself a businessman. And so uh, in in his parliament, it was the bank's interests. It was uh, the financial sector who were supported above all others. Mm-hmm. Even like the manufacturers and, and agribusiness weren't too happy with him at this point because he was so into the lending industry. Yeah, Now, at, at this point, because of... Again, the the demographic pressures, the food shortages, Uh, unemployment had put one third of Paris on social welfare by this point. And uh, it was home to some of the the biggest, like, agitators and uh, radical thinkers, uh, including the writers who coined the phrases right to work and property is theft.
1: Property is theft. Yes. I don't know if I've heard that.
0: Uh, That guy was also the first person to name himself an anarchist. He coined the word anarchism.
1: Oh, so they're not talking like personal property, are they?
0: To have property is to remove it from the commons. Therefore, it is theft from everyone else.
1: So they're talking about like property land, not so much like I own a toaster.
0: This was a time before consumerism. (laughs) Yeah. They thought of property in slightly different terms than we do in uh, mass-produced post-plastics America.
1: It it makes much more sense when I think about it being, like, land Mm -hmm. and not that dress.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In order to keep a lid on, you know, that sort of thing, political gatherings were against the law.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, nice liberal constitutional king, Louis Philippe. So opposition groups would hold banquets instead.
1: Yes. Just. I want to go to like an anarchist banquet. <laughs> I want to protest some <laughs> by having a banquet. Let's all have a potluck.
0: You just have a big old banquet. You cater and your guest list happens to be a whole lot of radical thinkers who are going to trade ideas and hobnob and, and talk about, Yes. you know, what, what they're doing next.
1: Protest by Potluck. Does everything I want in the world.
0: So the banquets got outlawed too. Damn it. <laughs> picnics.
1: Let's have picnics.
0: Beginning with one held in honor of the birth of George Washington. Yeah. Uh, see, Washington overthrew a king. After all yeah this this is a clear sign of you know republicanism belief in a, a government that is not a monarchy
1: mm-hmm.
0: a representative of the people advocating for a republic is treason in your monarchy so uh no no thank you no 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 that is why the barricades went up on February 22nd the birthday of George Washington. Uh-huh. So, yes, in, instead of that banquet, there are barricades and demonstrations in the streets. The palace was taken uh, by revolutionaries in an hour and a half. That's not that much time. The, the very next day, Chief Minister Guizot, the guy who outlawed the banquets, uh, and the king had, had both abdicated. Well, the minister resigned. The king abdicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, king Louis-Philippe traveled in disguise to England, where he lived under a fake name for the rest of his days.
1: What was his fake name?
0: Something really boring.
1: I, I was hoping it would be something, like, really cool.
0: <laughs> it is not.
1: If you can, like... He's, li- he's
0: trying to be, uh, you know, undercover.
1: I feel like nothing's more undercover than a weird name, because they'll be like, wow, your parents were weird. going to avoid you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the king's grandson, Philippe, was next in line for the throne. He he was the heir. He was prevented from taking the throne, though, by public opinion. Yeah. <laughs> they They did not want a king. But... It it would have been legal because he was nine at the time. Oh. He, he legally was, allowed to work. He was he would have been fine if it weren't for, you know, the whole revolution and yeah, all. To,
1: so that child labor law went like applied to the monarchy as well?
0: <laughs> I'm not sure, but it's it's kind of a moot point, you know. He <laughs> uh so on February twenty sixth, the Second Republic of France was proclaimed. Mm-hmm. France's provisional government then established the National Workshops. These were public works projects that guaranteed employment for unemployed laborers. You, you just get your your papers stamped by your uh, local authority and walk right up and they would give you a job at the expense of the state in exchange for for a subsistence wage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we, we just talked about the WPA a little while ago. Like there's huh? a clear uh, uh, parallel there. That's, yeah. Just with an 1840s uh, form of bureaucracy rather than a 1930s form, essentially. Uh, Within three months, about 100,000 people would be employed in the national workshops. That's a lot. So that's the end of February. That brings us to March. On March 2nd, France's provisional government enacted universal male suffrage ahead of the planned April election. Now every adult man in France can vote.
1: Ah, okay.
0: That was a large demand for a lot of these revolutions, as we will see going forward. Each nation under an absolutist monarch had their own, you know, problems with them, but very common ones across the board were uh, wishing to establish a free press, establish the uh, abolish the censor, and enact universal male suffrage. That That is what democracy meant. Yeah. Like, I'm not speaking figuratively. I mean, when, like, someone was in the streets shouting for democracy— They meant universal male suffrage. Yeah. Yeah. On March 3rd, we're we're going to uh, move our our lens over to Hungary and Kossuth Lajos.
1: What a name. He was
0: Hungarian.
1: That sounds like a cough drop.
0: So uh, Kossuth, he was a Hungarian (laughs) liberal reformer and nationalist. You just love the name Kossuth, don't you? Yeah,
1: because it makes me think of like... (laughs) Coughing?
0: Would they be called Kossuth drops then?
1: I was thinking Kossuth, like, lozengers. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lozengers? Yeah. Lajosers? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, anyway, Kossuth, he made this big speech in the Hungarian Diet, the the Hungarian legislature that is assembled by the king, uh, calling for a parliamentary government in Hungary and a constitution for all of Austria. Hungary was... A country within a country. It it had a limited autonomy, but it was part of the Austrian Empire. Uh, the Diet was convened whenever the whenever the king said there ought to be one this year. Okay. Uh, the king was also the emperor of Austria and always had been for mm-hmm. many many years. Uh, in fact, the king and the emperor had been a Habsburg for over three hundred years.
1: That's a lot of years.
0: It it was a long long dynasty and. Habsburgs are famous for their hideous portraiture. Yeah. Because of all the inbreeding. Yeah. Uh, Feudalism was still in effect, with peasants tied to the land, nobles exempt from taxation, like the the whole caboodle of feudalism was active in Hungary. So Kossuth, this liberal reformist, heard the news from France and saw it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. The people are starving, they're in the streets, they're seizing power... The, this is my time. Yeah. March 4th, the very next day, Charles Albert, King of Sardinia, which is northwest Italy, uh, granted a constitution protecting liberal rights before one was forced on him. <laughs> it's
1: like, I see what's going on here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. March 13th, Kossuth's speech is read on the streets of Vienna, you know, the, the seat of power, capital of the Austrian Empire. Students lead demonstrations against Chancellor Metternich, demanding a constitution and a constituent assembly elected by universal male suffrage. Oh. So the military opens fire. Of course. Killing five. And so what was a a student demonstration is now an incited mob with workers joining in and taking arms moving throughout the city. Yeah. Metternich, of course, had to meet with the emperor about the events of the day. Uh, and so Emperor Ferdinand I asked Metternich what all that noise outside was. And so Metternich answered, they are making a revolution. And uh, Ferdinand asked, but are they allowed to do that?
1: What?
0: <laughs> at least that's how the story goes. Okay. His more famous quote is after demanding apricot dumplings and being told, but Emperor, they are out of season. I am the emperor and I want dumplings. Oh boy. Not every emperor is going to be famous for, you know, their brilliant statecraft. There's a lot of them.
1: Yeah, he he sounds smart. Very smart.
0: <laughs> uh so that day Metternich resigned.
1: He was like I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> We're done.
0: Uh apparently he he resigned under instruction from the emperor. Oh. So he he How how much of his simple mindedness is propaganda and how much isn't I don't know. I didn't meet the guy. <laughs> But let's talk about this Metternich guy before he exits our story. He was a a stalwart conservative. He was an architect and therefore a symbol of the old order the revolutions were sweeping away. After the the Napoleonic era was uh, uh, done away with after, you know, he's defeated and exiled and then he comes back for a, a bombastic but not very successful sequel at Waterloo. Like, Europe is fractured and has to Somebody has to put the pieces back together again. Mm -hmm. Metternich was pretty much that guy. Yeah. So he divided up the land and he's like, you know what what was better than all of this Enlightenment era talk about reason? Look at all the wars that came from that. We need the divine right of kings. So y'all just get your your monarchies absolutist. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to try out a whole lot of repression of the free press. In fact, that's not a thing. It's just not. Oh, boy. So Metternich, uh, a lifelong enemy of these liberal reforms that, that are inspiring the initial goals of this revolutionary wave. Farewell. Goodbye, Metternich. Bye. Meanwhile, in Berlin that very same day, There is a a meeting of these reformers and radicals that the Prussian army attacks, killing one and injuring many. The next day, March 14th. My birthday! Yes. Happy birthday, dear. Did you know that on your birthday, Pope Pius IX presented a constitution that included an elected legislature for the papal states?
1: No. Did not know that. Like,
0: the pope was sort of a super monarch. A monarch alongside and in some cases above the monarch of so much of Europe. And now he is saying, hello, my directly controlled uh, uh, state of Italy, you have a constitution. Yeah. With a a two-house legislature, I will fill one house, you, the people, will fill the other house. I mean, it it was less liberal than the ones his neighbors in the other Italian states were presenting. But he's the pope. It's a big step for him. Yeah. Yeah. The day after that, March, 4, March 15th, Hungarian revolutionaries hold a huge rally in Pest. Buda and Pest were separate cities at the time. They were Buda and Pest.
1: Oh.
0: And these revolutionaries read out loud their 12 points. These 12 points existed earlier, uh, but now they're being presented to the people. They were the, the list of demands for this this new Hungarian nation. And and so they proclaimed what the Hungarian nation wants, let there be peace, liberty, and concord. We demand the freedom of the press and the abolition of censorship. An independent Hungarian government in Budapest. An annual national assembly in Pest. Civil and religious equality before the law, which is to say universal equality. The abolition of separate laws for the people and the nobility. Uh, the abolition of the legal privileges of nobility. Uh, and the abolition of a state religion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Big, big stuff. Yeah. They wanted a national army. Universal and equal taxation. That is the same taxes for, uh, citizens and nobles. Yeah. The abolition of an old feudal land code that, uh, declared only the nobility could own agricultural land.
1: Freaking nobles.
0: They wanted juries and courts based on equal legal representation. They wanted a national bank. They wanted the army to take an oath on a Hungarian constitution to uh, remove Hungarian soldiers from foreign lands and remove foreign soldiers from Hungary. Mm-hmm. Seems like a fair swap. Yeah. I don't know. Set free the political prisoners. Uh, form a union with Transylvania. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, equality, liberty, and brotherhood. Just to, like, bookend it with those three. Top and bottom. Yeah. So mass demonstrations in Buddha and Pest have no bloodshed. Nobody shoots at them this time. That's good. Uh, and the governor is forced to accept all 12 points. Woo! March 18th. Barricades are now going up in the streets of Berlin, marking the beginning of open fighting between uh, the citizens of Berlin and the Prussian military. This is also before German unification. We're going to talk about a few German states, Mm -hmm. most notably the largest and most powerful of which, Prussia. Mm -hmm. March 18th, the very same day, uh, the five days of Milan began.
1: Oh, that sounds fancy.
0: But yeah, it probably, was it was the beginning of Fashion Week. It was yeah, the first... No, uh, it was a five-day bloody uprising. Oh, uh, during basically
1: wh- Fashion Week.
0: <laughs> during which they expelled the Austrian army.
1: <laughs> I'm just thinking a lot of, like, stiletto heels being, like, stabbed into people.
0: <laughs> so... All year, in fact, beginning on January 1st, the people of Milan had been organizing and boycotting, along with other protests, against their Austrian rulers. Mm -hmm. Austria had, like, a state monopoly on tobacco products and some other things, and so the Milanese stopped smoking.
1: Hey! It,
0: It was their New Year's resolution. Nice. Now that Metternich has resigned, now that Austria is... Open to, to these liberal ideas and freedoms, let's have a revolt in the streets.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So over five days of fighting from their own barricades, the people of Milan forced 13,000 Austrian soldiers to withdraw from the city, leaving Lombardy, you know, the Italian state that Milan is in, or was, it's not, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, leaving it de facto independent. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Two days later, March 20th, the Greater Polish Uprising began in Poznan. Uh Uh, This was calling for effective autonomy for Poland. Poland was entirely partitioned by the Holy Alliance of Austria, Russia, and Prussia. Uh Uh, Asking for independence would jeopardize the support of all of those. But for now, the King of Prussia was being very nice. Oh, so they really didn't want to upset him. So they're just like autonomy. Autonomy's not independence. Yeah, no. We will we will demonstrate for autonomy. And maybe if you get, you know, completely thrown out and now there's a Republic of Prussia, we might push our hand a little farther. But but right now, right now in March, <laughs> what was Frederick William IV of Prussia doing? Well, on the 21st, he was attending a mass funeral for the 254 civilians shot on the 18th. Oh. And he and his retinue were dressed in the black, red, and gold of the German tricolor.
1: hmm
0: Which you might recognize now as the German flag. Yeah. One, one legacy of 1848 is it's the beginning of a whole lot of European national flags. Oh. The Italian national flag that tricolor has its roots in uh 1848. The Hungarian national flag, which is different shades of the same colors as Italy but horizontal stripes instead of vertical, has its roots in 1848. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the French, no, the the first French Republic came up with that one, but they they brought it back again for the second French Republic.
1: Oh, don't don't reinvent the wheel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh this this funeral procession that included the king also included 40,000 people. That's a lot. Uh, on that day, he also freed his Polish political prisoners, who then were given free uh, uh, train tickets to go and join the greater Polish uprising. Oh. The day after that, March 22nd, with Austria's forces withdrawn from Lombardy, Venice declares itself the independent Republic of San Marco. Okay. And on March 31st, the German states approved a parliament to draft a constitution. Its members are mostly constitutional monarchists. Mm So much like in Italy, uh, the the German revolutions of 1848 are are headed and invigorated by nationalists. Yeah. Nationalists meaning unificationists. Yes. Whereas uh, in the Austrian uh, example, nationalists were separatists. Okay. Like we've talked about Hungary, but uh, the Austrian Empire included, uh, you know, Czech lands and uh, Serbs and Croats and Slovaks. And they all wanted a a Czech Republic and a Slovakia and a Croatia. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Their nationalism was separatist rather than, you know, unification. Yeah. We're going to talk about more of those differences and, you know, April and beyond (laughs) after the break. (laughs) Welcome back everybody. Hello. So everything is kind of happening at once.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, we're I only I,
0: to April. I hope March really shows that. I mean, we're talking about something that happened in France in mid-February and like 6 weeks later there there are uprisings and revolutions and new governments and and blood in the streets all across the continent. Yeah. Uh, mostly in the wake of uh, the the symbolic victory of Metternich's resignation. I guess I could have saved like half an hour by saying that and making that the first half. But meanwhile, we're in April. So that German assembly we, we mentioned right before the break on April 8th passes a law providing, guess what?
1: Male suffrage.
0: Universal male suffrage and indirect voting. What's indirect voting? Uh, all of the, these newly enfranchised German men would vote for people who would vote. It was—it's the same as the electoral college, essentially. Uh, <laughs> the, so dumb. The same as the original intent of the electoral college. You so pick
1: less dumb.
0: You pick the, the people that you know, who you trust, and they will make the real decisions between them still dumb. It's really dumb and not exactly democratic, but but it's certainly a fair step more democratic than say an autocratic monarch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Should abolish the electoral college. Just oh. going to throw that out there.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, on April Freaking 11th, up. on April 11th, the April Laws, but you can't guess how they were named.
1: Cuz it's April.
0: The, the April Laws of Hungary were signed by King Ferdinand V. Uh, So Kossuth was now head of the Hungarian Diet and passed a sweeping set of reforms to modernize and liberalize Hungary. Like abolishing serfdom.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like uh, passing control of the military, the budget, and foreign policy to the Hungarian nobles in parliament, not to the the greater empire of Austria. Mm -hmm. And, And all of these April laws essentially made Hungary autonomous.
1: I'm sorry, I was laughing at Hungarian diet. (laughs) Every time.
0: The Hungarian diet does involve a lot of sauerkraut, I might guess.
1: (laughs) It's just a funny term.
0: So on April 13th, uh, Friedrich Hecker starts an uprising in the German state of Baden to overthrow the Grand Duke and begin the Republic of Baden. Ooh. On April 20th, his troops were routed by the Grand Duke's much larger force, including support from the King of Prussia. Oh. On, on the same day, April 20th, Metternich arrives to England to live in exile. He spends his days there uh, with the exiled French minister Guizot. you know, Mr. No More Banquets.
1: Hey, you guys can be buddies. They had a
0: lot to talk about.
1: And live a boring life of no banquets.
0: So on April 23rd, the Second French Republic holds their first election. Eighty-five percent of the nine million newly eligible voters participate.
1: Dang!
0: They, they were very excited to have universal male suffrage. Can
1: we get people to be that excited about voting here, please?
0: So their, their National Constituent Assembly that was assembled of constituents nationally-wise, of after this election... The majority were moderates and conservatives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That brings us to May, May 6th. Prussian forces defeat the Polish militias, ending the tense and tenuous steps toward autonomy. Aww. On May 15th, back in France, Parisian workers storm the assembly and proclaim themselves the new provisional government. They don't want to be uh, uh, governed by all these conservatives that, you know, all the, the rural men of the French countryside elected. Yeah. They made this revolution for radical change, not an elected body that'll do the same thing the king did last year. Yeah. Their new provisional government doesn't last too long. They are dispersed, and the leaders are arrested by the National Guard by the end of the day. Oh, On May 17th, Emperor Ferdinand I flees Vienna in the face of demonstrators demanding democracy. To, to clear up confusion, he was... Emperor Ferdinand I of Austria is the same person as King Ferdinand
1: V of
0: Hungary. There there were four King Ferdinands before him, but zero Emperor Ferdinands before him.
1: Why? Why can't he
0: just use one name? I mean, they did. It was just different numerals. (laughs) But like... He was the fifth King Ferdinand of Hungary and the first Emperor Ferdinand of Austria. It's very clear. Uh, King James was the same. I forget what number James he was, King of Scotland, but he was King James the first of England.
1: That's when you just change your name. <laughs> You're like, I... The fourth, I,
0: I think. King James the fourth of Scotland.
1: And King Billy Bob. Yeah. Only one.
0: Have you just been thinking about Varsity Blues again?
1: Oh, that was a name there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, May 18th, the Frankfurt National Assembly convenes... This is the first freely elected parliament of all of Germany. Mm -hmm. This is a huge step for all these German nationalists looking for a unified Germany. In in fact, through the life of the assembly, they mostly talk about how to make a unified Germany and what it looks like. Yeah. A really big question is, do we include the German parts of Austria? Oh. Yeah. So the the Frankfurt National Assembly is held in St. Paul's Church in Frankfurt uh parliaments and assemblies were being formed all across the continent as we said the bodies being assembled a whole lot faster than anyone can put up new buildings for them yeah so they're all in like concert halls or maybe there's a big room in a palace that their king isn't using anymore these days <laughs> or often really big churches yeah the Frankfurt assembly elected Henrik von Geigern, uh, their president, president of the assembly. He was a moderate who advocated for unification, but insisted any action the assembly take be approved by the monarchs of these various German states.
1: What?
0: That's what moderates get you. Uh on May 22nd 4 days later the Prussian National Assembly convened with and and their mission was to produce a constitution for Prussia the king of Prussia would no longer be autocratic he would be a constitutional monarch the day after that May 23rd the slaves of Martinique and Guadeloupe rose up and are emancipated by a colonial general before there's time for an official edict to to come and declare them uh in uh emancipated uh-huh one week later, on the 30th, the Kingdom of Sardinia defeats the Austrian forces that had withdrawn from Milan back in March. There's a lot of fighting around northern Italy with the, this Austrian army sometimes winning uh, uh, victories over these uh, newly independent, uh, newly constitutional Italian states, sometimes just, like, turtling down in old fortresses. Yeah. They're, they're chasing each other around uh, the, the Italian mountains.
1: Anyone who was writing home around this time had a lot to write about.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So that'll take us to June. On June 12th, the Pan-Slav Congress in Prague was dissolved, and the military occupied the city in in face of the threat of Czech nationalism. This is kind of the beginning of a counter-revolution. Much like February 22nd in Paris was not really the first uh, uh, revolution of 1848, but it is credited as kicking off the whole thing, disbanding this Congress and occupying Prague was not the first step of uh, counter-revolution, but it is the one that gets credit for starting the big uh, counter-revolution movement. Yeah. Uh, One week later, on the 19th of June, news of the February revolution in Paris reaches Sydney, Australia. (laughs) I mean for for all our for all my talk at the top about like new communication uh, uh technology, you still needed a really long boat ride to get to Australia. Yeah. June twenty-first, uh happy solstice, I guess. Uh the National Constituent Assembly in France closes the national workshops. No surprise because they were a, a much more conservative body than the provisional government that that created it. Mm-hmm. Uh and this triggered the June Days uprising. Ooh. Laborers erected barricades across the streets of Paris. <laughs> and they climbed across these barricades to go home to home, building to building to recruit members and raided armories for their weapons. Uh they they unfurled banners reading reading uh du ou la mort or bread or death. Oh. I'm, I'm sure we'll have some people writing in with whatever translates to tro- stop trying to say French words <laughs> or death. <laughs> the, the National Guard and the French Army put down the uprising over the next three days. And when I say put down, I mean 3,000 workers shot dead, 4,000 deported.
1: Yeah, it's putting down. Okay.
0: From here, we're going to break away from the timeline.
1: Oh, oh, oh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that's enough blow by blow. I mean, the, the point I wanted to make was this spontaneous, many fronts. And again, think back to, to the non-exhaustive list of other states where uprisings are happening. Yeah. Very wide, united wave. Uh, but that point has been made.
1: <laughs> so what are we going to do now?
0: Well, now we're going to talk about things more in broad strokes. Oh, now that the explosive change had ended, now that many of the largest seats of power had become uh, brand new states, or at least uh, new, new and, and constitutionalized and liberalized ways of operating the old states, the, these reforms being won, the divisions be- within the movement came to light, though none of these divisions were quite as bloody as the June Day's uprising. Broadly speaking, the liberals had won what they wanted. They, they had their free press, they had their constitutions, they had universal male suffrage in many, many places. But the radicals, the poor, the socialists, which was a word with about a hundred definitions, it was a very new word at the time, nobody was really sure. It had a much more fractured definition than democracy did in 1848. <laughs> Those people didn't get what they wanted yet. But since the liberals and moderates did, they were content to stand in the way of their former allies' struggle, just celebrating the political forms they won and blocking the social reforms that could have happened Mm -hmm. if if they had stayed united. Yeah. What it comes down to is everybody was in it for freedom, but they didn't always agree on what freedom meant. Uh, German radicals uh, made this point. Uh, very cleverly by juxtaposing the freedom to read with the freedom to feed. A slogan of theirs to ask, what's the point of a free press if you're too hungry to read the dang paper?
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: So even those who campaigned for democracy differed in who should get it. I mean, by the time you have your proposal for universal male suffrage in this brand new parliament, in, in this brand new assembly... Not everybody in the assembly is going to agree to that. You know, you have to be the the adults in the room and come to hard compromises. And, and that's when you start hearing people talk about, well, can we trust someone who has to, like, work for a wage to have the necessary perspective to make these decisions? Uh-huh. Maybe votes should be restricted to all independent men, which isn't so different from just having, you know a Council of, of land and nobility yeah the the even it's
1: the same thing just trying to say it nicer
0: of course, the even scarier idea is what if those workers do recognize uh, th- their ability to exercise power yeah yeah hmm. uh a- another interesting uh, uh intersection of freedom meaning different things to different people is in is in the Austrian partition of Poland
1: mm-hmm
0: the the freedom of polish austrian aristocrats looked like an independent or at least autonomous poland free from austrian influence mm-hmm. for polish austrian peasants it looked like sticking with the empire that just abolished serfdom that seemed like a what freedom means to me yeah as as a as a peasant yeah so these divisions let the conservatives divide and reconquer mm-hmm. Uh, over the next year or so, the wave of revolution continued, but the wave of counter-revolution followed right behind. The, the powers that had not been deposed lent their armies to those that had in order to win easy allies. Mm-hmm. Like, you're all elected, that's fine and dandy, but you've got a, you got a real uh, uh, radical problem. Why don't you borrow my, my Prussian soldiers? Uh-huh. Or hey, nice constitution you got there, a uh, uh, good old king and or emperor. But uh, if if you want to keep your head, you know how those French can be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why why don't you take these Russian troops and and get back all all that stuff now? I mean, the the army of the French Republic even joined in. They siege the walls to return the Republic of Rome to direct papal control in the summer of eighteen forty nine. Uh huh. Uh, the counter-revolution ended most of the new revolutionary governments and reinstated censorship, reinstated repression, removed uh, suffrage. Uh, France's Second Republic, one of the big uh, um, exceptions to this, continued past the, the counter-revolutionary wave uh, with Louis Napoleon at its head, elected for four years. And then he declared himself Emperor Napoleon III, rather than be taken out of office by the one-term limit.
1: Mm. Yeah, so you get around
0: that—change mm. your title. So, uh, it, so maybe it didn't really avoid the counter-revolutionary wave. It just took a very unique step along it. Yeah. Now, for some reason, people think that that means the revolutions were failures, and I think they are very wrong. Yeah. I don't think eliminating serfdom is a failure. No. I I don't think that that is what a failure would do. Uh, The Second Republic abolished slavery in all of the French colonies. That sent the neighboring colonies in the Caribbean to follow suit rather than risk uh, their slaves rebelling. Mm -hmm. The, The lesser Antilles had slavery end because of June 22nd in France, essentially. Yeah. That's not a failure. Uh, Italian and German unification were secured in about 20 years. That's what they were fighting for. <laughs> it, it wasn't done by these radicals, by these liberals. It was done by the the uh, conservative crackdown to follow, but it still happened. Yeah. Absolutism was done. Everyone recognized they could only rule by consent of the governed, though, like I just said, many interpreted that through a... a real politic, uh, uh, power, you know, might makes right kind of lens. Yeah. The the wave of 1848 and the reactions to it are directly responsible for the sort of sensible center managerial style of government with things like information management rather than an official state censor's office. Mm -hmm. Uh, The counter revolutions may have exiled and killed the liberal figureheads, But those states would be primarily liberal technocracies in less than a generation. Once things were settled down from 1848 and 49, it gave way to the age of administration. Very fancy. (laughs) Very fancy.
1: (laughs) Anything that's like the age of. Very Mm -hmm. fancy. Mm
0: -hmm. And, And looking at this through a historical lens made clear the way society is split into classes, organized by their relation to the means of production and motivated by their self-interest. The reason Marx wasn't so hot in 1848 is because he hadn't studied 1848. Yeah. <laughs> like uh his his theories were developed properly over the next 20 years and one of his great works in like the midpoint between uh uh the, the Manifesto and Capital Volume 1 finally coming out and putting it all together properly was a book about 1848 and Louis-Napoleon. Mm-hmm. You can even see this in uh, a U.S. example. There was a routine resolution in the U.S. Senate to congratulate France on establishing a republic. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing that happens all the time. Republics are good. France is cool. Just rubber stamp that. Until one senator introduced an amendment further congratulating them for liberating the slaves of their colonies. And then another senator, John C. Calhoun, said, No, 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 we we cannot, as the U.S. Senate, congratulate anyone for freeing any slaves. Slavery is very good, actually. Uh... So uh, that whole resolution, uh, amendment, with or without the amendment, was just sort of scuttled and forgotten about and expired before it became a huge sticking point. Yeah, on a on, on nine on a on what is basically a a, a greeting card to the new uh, government in France. <laughs> yeah. So it's 2019. It's about 170 years later. Why why is this the year I wanted to talk about when I decided to talk about a whole dang year for our for my December episode?
1: uh because there's a lot of going on this year. <laughs>
0: It's true. And one of those things that is going on is a global wave of demonstrations against neoliberalism and austerity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, similarly spontaneous looking, though following decades of of uh, increasing pressure, making lives of the common people harder and harder to live. Yeah. I'm talking about Chile and Lebanon, uh, Ecuador, Colombia, Egypt, uh, the reaction against the, the coup in Bolivia, uh, the climate strikes. Yeah. The, these are what I'm talking about. And, and we live in a time now where technology is accelerating the divide between rich and poor, and large companies and finance interests are the ones that have the the autocracy today. Yep. I mean, however many episodes ago uh, the, the Cochabamba water war was yeah. the topic of the day. The World Bank hasn't changed since. Yeah. The IMF and World Bank are totally in on the uh, uh, coup against Evo Morales, which is back in Colombia with the Cochabamba Water War. So, and if even this failed wave, this so-called failed revolutionary spirit of 1848 can achieve so many of its central goals in time, what's the harm in trying? Yeah. Why not?
1: Go start a revolution,
0: people. Why not?
1: But, right? That, that's yeah. that, yeah. Yes. Go do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Watch out for the liberals to stab you in the back. But, in the meantime,
1: picnics and protests.
0: <laughs> so, darling, what have you learned?
1: Well, what I, I think is very interesting about the way you did it was mm-hmm. like, condensing all this stuff happening into this month and this month and this month because so Mm -hmm. often we learn about things well here's this thing happening over here and here's this thing happening over here right but putting it into like the timeline Mm -hmm. is when you see the bigger picture of what's going on and that's often not how history is taught right and especially like social issues aren't necessarily taught and connected
0: mm -hmm. They, they they weren't siloed and because you have to draw a line around it somewhere, because there has to be a limit at some point.
1: You can't just keep going and going and going, yeah.
0: Right, but it's also not siloed from the art of the time. It's not like the Bronte sisters were, like, alive and reacting to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, even though uh, England was one of the uh, states that is famous for not having a revolution, and there are a lot of very stupid theories for why that is. <laughs> We're just special. No. Uh, <laughs> they exported a lot of the, the pressure on the people to the colonies. Basically, the English weren't starving as much.
1: A little less starvation.
0: Because they were squeezing India and the Caribbean and Africa instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: For starving other places more.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's fine.
0: But everyone agrees that the reason Russia didn't have one is because the Tsar was just that much more repressive. They yeah. didn't have a chance. Uh, there was too
1: much at risk.
0: There were more people employed in Tsar uh, Nicholas's uh, uh, censorship department than there were books being written to be submitted to the censorship department. Like, Yeah. Yeah. But, but two more points about England. First, they're, the Chartist reformists were marching all over the country. They just don't get counted among 1848 because the timing is slightly off and they didn't kill people. Uh, but they did bring the hammer down so hard on a, a nascent Irish rebellion as, that was in 1848. <laughs> so, like, if if things got hot, the English crown would have been just as repressive yeah. They did it in Ireland. It happened.
1: Yeah. Yes. They would have done it to everyone else, too. Yeah. Well, I I feel like, I don't know, protesting something.
0: Hell yeah.
1: Protest protests going around?
0: <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and uh, check the schedules of, of some of our, our local groups and uh, be back with your letters. everybody
1: hello (coughs) are you sick
0: i'm not sick are you sure my throat's very dry after all this talking because i'm not letting you talk much because you're sick but we got a little bit of talking left specifically reading your letters ramona writes in again with responses to a few prompts starting with their favorite roller coaster takabisha the record holder for the steepest drop at 121 degrees. Oh Let's go on it. Well, uh, that would require we go to Fuji-Q, an amusement park at the base of Mount Fuji, which sounds pretty cool, actually, yes. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Their favorite revolution, which was the prompt I asked for for this episode, is the Zapatistas of southern Mexico. Uh, although they aren't really a revolution in the violent uprising sense... These are the present-day Zapatistas, that is, uh, revolutionary. Not really, you know, barricading the streets and and firing upon the king's men.
1: <laughs>
0: For that sort of thing, Ramona uh, tells a story about Nestor Manko and the anarchist black army of Ukraine, active in and around the, the time of the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. And so she, she talks about how, uh, this Black Army and the Red Army interacted uh, with one another. It's a pretty cool story and people should check it out. It's good stuff. I'm kind of maybe saving up for a 1917 episode one of these years. (laughs) I don't want to ruin it all. But thanks, Ramona. Uh,
1: Kirsten writes in, uh, and their favorite revolution is the Haitian Revolution, uh, which is the only successful slave revolt that came from the many that happened. Uh, the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, points out that is an example of the United States uh flexing its muscle to bully a nation of people of color, as the United States would use it to influence other nations not to trade as much with them due to it being a nation created by rebelling slaves.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh the reason Haiti is in the state it's in is because of US foreign policy in uh from from like the dawn of America, essentially. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah we we kind of suck. Favorite public piece of art, which is an old prompt, uh, is basically all the street performances that happen in their hometown of New Orleans. Uh, Impromptu parades, live music performances uh, from jazz, bluegrass to rap, uh, dance performances of all kinds. Uh, It's happening all over. Mm -hmm. And uh, favorite thing from the 90s is Pokemon.
0: I knew someone would say it. Well, now two someones, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, we just Kristen.
0: expected more. We just expect more from you people. We expected and more Pokemon. By that I mean, yes, more Pokemon. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. ARP writes in, and their favorite revolution is the Gentle Revolution. Oh, that's mm. nice. Which is when Czechoslovakia uh, founded a parliamentary democracy, uh, split itself into uh the, the independent Czech Republic and Slovakia, both of which joined the European Union and NATO, and became part of sort of the legacy of eighteen forty eight I was talking about earlier, the these nice liberal uh states with their, their technocratic managerial politeness. Yeah. Yeah. It all took just a little over a month for for uh the paperwork to, to be filed and squared away and Not a single shot fired by anybody. Congratulations, Czech Republic and Slovakia. Yeah. Of course, ARP has to point out a second favorite, the religious civil war that started with the first defenestration of Prague, where uh, the town council was thrown out of a church window to their deaths uh, because of how the, the church in Bohemia was being run, which made King Wenceslas IV so sad he died. Oh
1: my gosh. I was not expecting that. Yes. I was expecting something very different than him dying.
0: And, uh, I mean, everyone who's defenestrated also died.
1: Well, yeah, but I was like, oh, it made him so sad that he, like, took revenge. No, he just died.
0: He's a gentle soul, that King Wenceslas. But uh, for, for more on the second defenestration of Prague, that was one of our half segments in one of our New Year's specials. Our 2018 uh, New Year special is half about the second Defenestration of Prague.
1: There we go. yeah. Thanks, ARP. Uh, William writes in uh, and shares that they actually did a history revolutions or history of revolutions class in high school.
0: It's a popular thing. It's mm-hmm. fun.
1: Yeah. Their favorite uh, is for entertainment mm-hmm. uh, or the entertainment value. For the rough, uh, blah blah blah.
0: They, they were, were, they were ruffians. Yes, were those
1: ruffians' favorite, uh, for the entertainment it provided, uh, was through the rough, the Russian Revolution. Did you almost say rough riders? <laughs> I almost said ruffians again. Okay, the ruffians' revolution, <laughs> the Russian Revolution. Yes. The year that William took the class at the, during the end-of-year exam uh, for those studying uh, the Russian Revolution, there was an image of the storming of the Winter Palace, uh, and the image that was used in the exam booklet was sourced from the Internet, and whoever did didn't, like, pay attention uh, because there was a Battletech Marauder photoshopped into the version they
0: used. You can say Battletech Marauder on the first try. Yeah. <laughs> but not Russian Revolution.
1: No, I can't say Russian Revolution. <laughs> Battletech Marauder. There you go. Ruffians Revolution. Rough
0: Ruff Riders Regulate. Okay.
1: <laughs> Thanks, William.
0: Thanks, William. Peter writes in uh, with a very sneaky, sneaky answer. Their favorite revolution is the one that started it all, the invention of the wheel revolving on its axis.
1: Uh,
0: Uh, uh, Mankind's earliest technology. Uh, We're talking pottery, we're talking agriculture, transportation, weaving. Nothing happens without a revolving wheel. I don't know if you're trying to outsmart us or what. We're just talking about people shooting each other over who the government should serve (laughs) over here, so... Thanks, Peter.
1: Isaac uh, writes in and shares that their favorite thing from the 1990s is them.
0: Yeah, Because it's
1: important to love yourself, and that's something they're trying to work more on every day.
0: Congratulations.
1: That's, I guess, their other favorite thing from the 90s is their first concert that they remember, Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> uh, and they have two favorite revolutions. The first... The world revolving, the bonus boss fight music from Toby Fox's game, Deltarune. Second, the revolution of the Earth around the Sun, for allowing life. Huh, I see what you did there. Yeah, you you and Peter should hang
0: out. I don't know what are are We're you so con- sassy. What what's this sassy conspiratorial butts. business we got? Like, ha ha ha! At the bottom of our mailbag. Are we sure
1: this isn't just like geop? Like, emailing us multiple times?
0: Well, no. That would be a different kind of wordplay entirely.
1: (laughs) Different. Those would be different jokes. Isaac also shares a picture of their cat, Willow.
0: Aww. He's very cute. Willow's got one of them two faces that cats have. Yeah. Got a black side and a stripy side. Yeah. Yeah. Like Willow. Thanks, Isaac. And thank you all for writing in. Darling, if... Somebody listening to this wants to send us a letter. Where can those go?
1: at gmail.com
0: And we want to hear your show suggestions, your corrections, your your questions, your, any sort of story you might want to share, including the responses to our usual prompt.
1: Darling, what's our prompt?
0: Well, our next episode is scheduled to come out on December the 24th, Christmas Eve. <laughs> and we're not going to be available to do our, our full, like sequence of research and everything so in order to keep our schedule i'm going to be putting together something special to to come out then which means our next regular episode is going to be again our new year special
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh so traditionally uh our, our last prompt that we ask for from the year is i want to know everybody's favorite thing that happened in 2019 yeah as we head into yet another revolution around Earth's orbit. Yeah. <laughs> another 366 days of adventure. It's one of the big ones coming up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can send those to History Honey's Podcast at com.
0: For those that couldn't hear that, it's History Honey's Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com.
1: Are you trying to tell me something about my voice right now?
0: Do you want to have another cough drop?
1: <laughs> I don't have cough drops. Okay. I don't like them. They're gross. <laughs> they taste bad.
0: But as we head into the the uh, hard mode of the holidays, the... the <laughs> Which I
1: might survive.
0: The expert levels of uh, year <laughs> end.
1: Gotta go for that boss fight of Santa. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Santa dresses in red Because we finally got to the last health bar Santa used to be green But we, oh, we've gone through enough rounds
1: That explains so much
0: But you can uh, keep in touch with us and, and follow along with whatever happens to us In fact, we just found a little bit of history in the city earlier today Yes, we did And you can find out all about that on social media We are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram
1: At History Honeys
0: Mm-hmm And since we're all in the spirit of giving and community, I would absolutely appreciate it if you uh, took the time to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher that gives you the option. Uh, And also, a little bit of word of mouth, never hurt anybody. In fact, it only helps 100% of the time. That's how revolutionary ideas spread.
1: We just gave you so much material to talk to your family about Mm -hmm. over the holidays. Ask them what their favorite barricading devices.
0: Ask them what they think about Chancellor Prince von Metternich and his eventual return from English uh, exile to again become a major figure in in, uh, the Austrian Empire.
1: Or that. You can ask them that.
0: I'm sure they have very well-developed opinions. Yeah,
1: I bet so. Uh, I hope everyone has a really good rest of this year. Yes. You won't be hearing from us in nope. a way for a while but you will be it's just
0: not directly yeah yeah
1: so hope you have a good rest of the month a good rest of the year same thing <laughs> hang out enjoy
0: yes Th- thank you very much i mean i i got all thanksy last time and i want to save it up for the new year but yeah. uh i i i agree <laughs> i'll leave it at that so i'm not just getting too maudlin and mockish. okay and with that, I'm Grant. I'm Lena. And history's better with your honey. honey.